From the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio, this is Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. Injured in Georgia? Make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Injury Insider is presented by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs. Hello and welcome to Injury Insider with Derek Hayes on Business Radio X. We are broadcasting live from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Sinesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. This show will answer legal questions and debunk personal injury myths with insight and expertise. For nearly 25 years, Derek Hayes has exclusively represented injured parties in Georgia. Now he'd like to put that knowledge to work for you. My name is Lita Brooks, and it's my pleasure to introduce the star of the show, Derek Hayes. Good afternoon, Derek. Good afternoon. Great to see you as always. How are you today? I'm well, thank you. Well, great. Ready ready to talk about this. All right. But before we begin, a quick reminder that Injury Insider is brought to you by Status Home Design, your one-stop shop for all your home and gift needs, and by the law office of Derek M. Hayes. Injured in Georgia, make the right call to the law office of Derek M. Hayes at 404-777-HURT. Well, before we get to the topic of today, we have some business to finish from the last show. Yes, we do. If you missed it, I encourage you to go back and listen. This was a doozy. All of the shows are great and entertaining in their own way, but this last one was like any other show that we've done before. Derek, you discussed 20 crazy and unusual lawsuits that will blow your mind. Yeah, and I've had to limit it to 20 when I came in. That day, I had 25 written out, but we started dealing with the clock, and so we capped it at 20. But as I was putting it together, I easily found 50 or more that could have been on the show. So we're going to do a whole nother show, right? We'll do another vote. Absolutely. All right. So as part of the show, we asked everyone to vote for the one that they think is the craziest. So we took kind of an in-studio vote right at the end Mm -hmm. and then you left it open for a couple of weeks for people to submit their answer office yes yeah yes right right i even had people that emailed me which is what we wanted we wanted people to email through the podcast tab on my website and really i was kind of blown away by the response i even had votes this morning i went to the office before coming here and there were still votes coming in so they've been tabulated. I think we've closed the polls for now. But also, too, there were a couple of cases. <laughs> I was going to make a political joke. Yeah, no. <laughs> tabulating. so many things that could have been said. Ooh, you set me up for that one, but I'm going to hold my tongue. Yeah, and, and they were only really out of the 20. There were only two cases that I could figure out that did not get a vote at all. Okay. Which means so that, they were done. Yeah, that, nobody well, cared. Nobody cared. But it's interesting that eighteen of them. Well, did. they were there was some doozies, but like I were, said. That's my word yes. for the show and some of these cases. Yeah, and along the same lines, I could tell it was kind of tough for everyone too because some people voted more than once. I noticed that. I could have voted more than once. Yeah, yeah. You guys so, held me to one vote on air, yes, but there did. were some that I definitely. I even was kind of waffling. Yeah. Because and and so I know because I've seen the results. The ones that, so you've got three runner-up. Correct, three runners-up. And one definite winner. And then the one overall winner, which honestly, it wasn't that big of a difference between the numbers. But there was one that did get more votes than than all the others. But I have the three runners-up. Okay, so number three of the runner-up. And these are not the the 
three runners up are not in any kind oh, of oh they're not or, not in any kind of order Those oh because this they this, were so close i thought oh they were so close okay this third runner up was my number one pick yes it was but it only landed as number three this is charging lion we call this charging lion charging right. lion so the lawsuit was against a an ammunitions company a man had gone on a, a hunting safari in africa and he shot a charging lion. The lion was coming at him. He pulled out his gun and he fired, but he hit the lion in the shoulder. And therefore, he did not kill the lion. So a charging lion that's only been hit in the shoulder with a bullet is going to be more angry than he is dead. Yes. And the guy found out the hard way. So he wound up getting uh -oh. mauled, unfortunately, by the attacking lion. So then he decided to file suit against the, not the lion, but the ammunition company because the bullet was not strong enough to have dropped the line and killed him, even though his shot was I was going to say, it has nothing to do with his right. bad shot. That's, right. that's a pretty big assumption so there, the buddy. So the case was dismissed, yeah. but if the lesson learned is if you're charged by a lion <laughs> and you shoot, you better hit somewhere besides the shoulder because oh. it's probably not going to work. Please don't shoot lions, people. Well, the, there's that too, and exactly. Number two. Second runner-up, I should say. Okay. Second runner-up. So, so I remember when we <laughs> talked about this one on the, on the actual show, there was a little confusion, but I'll try and make this as clear as I can. So this guy's at home. Wait, I haven't even said which case. Okay, go ahead, go ahead. Dun-dun-dun-dun. Second runner-up, fear factor sickness. Right, and this guy, <laughs> fear factor sickness, he's at home. Now let's make this clear, at home. He is not a contestant. He is at home watching on TV. With the ability, if necessary, to change channels, leave the room, look away, any number of things. He's not even the contestant. He's not having to do it. But he's watching Fear Factor, and he watches the episode where apparently uh, the contestants were required to drink blended up Ugh, rats. I can't even. I know. So the rats are put in the blender, and they have to drink this. Now they're competing for a prize of $50,000. I couldn't do it. So this guy who's watching at home, again, watching at home, not smelling, not seeing, not tasting, at home... And he got sick mm -hmm. and he got dizzy. And as he got up to run to the restroom, he ran into his door frame and he apparently injured himself. So he filed suit claiming that the disorientation, the sickness all caused by watching someone drink blended up rats cost him pain and suffering and injury. And he sued for two point five million dollars, even though the contestant who actually had to do it <laughs> was only going to get 50. So, yes, it was thrown out as well. OK, well, I, my daughter was homesick yesterday and put in a Fear Factor DVD, and that's all I could think about was, "Am I going to catch this?" Yeah, episode? it wasn't that episode. I you know, know. no, I, that episode didn't come up. But she actually—that was a long time ago. That show was on. Yeah, I don't yeah. know if they've brought it back to life, but we were watching the old episode, so it's still very relevant. All right, I guess Number first three, runner up, yeah, first, first, whichever well, we'll, way we're yeah, going we'll up and down this countdown. Yes. All right, this is the first runner up. This was also my top two. I guess I like the animal stories. Whale tail. All right, so this one, a 27-year-old man uh, at SeaWorld in Florida, in Orlando, he hid at closing time. It hid inside the park. So after closing, uh, he was somehow, some way able to dodge security, the cameras, and everything else, and he got to the killer well tank. Not the dolphin tank. Right. Not the sea lions or penguins, but he found the killer well tank, which is his was apparently his... I guess, dream to swim with killer whales. Well, what happens when you swim with killer whales? They do what they're known for, and that is being a killer yes. whale. So unfortunately, the man was drowned or killed by the killer whale. And so the family, the parents of the deceased 27-year-old man, filed suit against SeaWorld and claimed that they were responsible because the park should have displayed signs that stated the whale's killing capacity 
and this was the funny part, and should not have sold friendly-looking killer whale stuffed animals in the gift shop. Because selling friendly-looking killer whale uh, stuffed animals made people think, it gave them the false perception that killer whales were really sweet and cuddly and nice. I could not believe that was their argument. That was it. Not he hid, park was closed. <laughs> right. He trespassed. Jumped he into a killer walls. whale tank. I mean, yeah. come on. Yeah. Was it, did this get thrown out? Yeah, it did. Okay. It, did. it was well. dismissed. It was dropped. And I'm sure there were uh, many reasons why it was dropped. But nonetheless, it never yeah. made, made it into the courtroom. But they did file. They did file suit. Okay. Ready for number one? The drum roll. Does, the winner. You know, yes. The winner is. That sure is an ugly baby. Uh, yes. <laughs> All right. So Amanda is in studio with us today. She was not here when we did Mike the show was last in studio. time. Mike this was, was in studio. his pick. That's what I was going to yeah, say. I'm Mike sure he's listening right now. Mike picked right. this one. And I'll be curious to hear from Amanda if she would as well. So the premise of this is this man meets a lady. They get married. They have kids. Well, a kid at least. And so when the kid is born, the man decides that the kid is, quote, incredibly ugly. So the man filed suit. The man filed suit against his wife for giving birth to an ugly baby. Yeah. Now, part of his argument was based on the fact that prior to meeting his wife, she had had multiple, multiple plastic surgeries. So the lady he met truly did not look like the lady she was. But apparently, the baby came out looking like the lady she was because the baby, of course, hadn't had any plastic surgery yet. Oh. So he decided that baby was incredibly ugly, and he filed suit against his wife for being deceitful and not telling him of the fact that she had had all these plastic surgeries. And so not only did he file suit, now this was in China, but it did wind up he won. And his wife was required to pay him more than $120,000 in our currency. I really want to know if this couple stayed together. (sighs) I don't. I want to know what happened to the poor ugly baby. Oh. I mean, think about it. the baby should have gotten some of that money, maybe. Maybe but, yeah. I don't know. So that, Amanda, would you horrible. have voted for that one? I think that one is extreme, and I, I would say that that's probably the best that I've heard. Yeah. I, well, it won. That's that that's Amanda. what our listeners felt like too. That that took the cake. And had but the it's most. your child. I mean, it, it, they're well, anyway. So yes, he that was w- really mad. <laughs> yes, uh, and, and you know I, when I Google this, I, I actually did. I have to confess, I looked for pictures, but there were no pictures to be found. I wonder if that Seinfeld episode was based off this case. Yeah, there was if somebody yeah, had right. gotten wind of it because there was an other baby episode. Uh, I yeah, forgot all about that. Is it me or was that the ugliest baby you have ever seen? Oh, I couldn't look. It was like the Pekingese. <laughs> So, Ugly Baby was the winner was the of winner. the craziest lawsuit, at well, least this round of it. Thank you for everyone who listened, and especially thanks to those who cast your vote. I hope we gave you some topics to talk about at cocktail parties throughout this holiday season. And we're going to do another one. Like Derek said, he has been privy to plenty of cases. A lot of <laughs> yeah. yours have confidenti- yeah. confidentiality against right, them. Right. But we can sure talk about some other cases. And we're going to give you another one of these uh, top 20 <laughs> funniest cases. It was great. I love that show. But we will definitely uh, have a fantastic show today. This Absolutely. is not even the topic of today. No, no. This was just a wrap up last week. That's right. All right. So what are we discussing today? So today, I, w- I actually was spending some time a few days ago, a couple of days ago, kind of thinking about what to talk about today. And I had started making some notes and had a few great ideas. But while I was doing that, I got interrupted a couple of times with return phone calls from clients that I'd reached out to new clients. And so in stopping to talk with them, I started realizing that they all ask some of the very same questions 
right at the beginning, whether it's someone who's called my office for the first time to discuss a potential case or a new client who I've signed up calling in to uh, kind of have the opportunity to map out a game plan for their case. And I like to work with the clients up front and do that. So I thought I'd today make today's show really kind of a chance to answer some of those most common questions. Um, so I'm focusing really on car wrecks today. Uh, some of the questions may apply to other kinds of personal injury claims, whether it's a slip and fall or a dog bite, any number of other claims. But really, this is focused on car wreck claims today. Are car wrecks the number one personal injury claim? Yes. Is there more car wreck claims than any other type of personal injury claim? Yeah, and that's kind of a catch-all category. You can throw in there motorcycles, tractor trailers, cars, um, you know, any kind of wheeled vehicle, um, bicycles. And pedestrian claims also, too, kind of fall into that category when we talk about car wreck claims. But, yes, that is by far the most common personal injury case. So how about we do a top ten list? Let's do a Dave Letterman top ten list of the most asked questions. I can do it. I'll limit it to 10 today, and that's fine for from time reasons, but there are lots of other questions we can definitely get to, and we will in later shows, but that's a good idea. So before we jump into the top 10 list, anyone listening who has a question, if we're not going to cover it in this list, hang tight, because at the end of the show, Derek's going to explain how you can submit your questions to him directly. Yes, absolutely. So okay. I gave you the questions today, and I'm going to let you ask me, and then I'll just kind of answer them like I would for anybody calling the office. Number one question, and I can see why this is number one. How much is my case worth? Yeah, I didn't rank these, uh, but if I did, yes, you're exactly right. No, I, that's be. what I would think yeah, right off the top. This is truly the number yeah. one question, and you get it at all times. You get it right at the beginning of the case, the very first phone call. You get it um, you know, as somebody's calling to discuss their potential claim with me, and when I've signed them up, usually the first call, I'll kind of get that same question all over again. Well, the answer is there's no way to know. So if anybody ever tells you, oh, your case is worth X number of thousands of dollars, uh, 100000 500000 or 10000 whatever it may be, and you've just started talking to them and they have no insight into the facts, the evidence, or what's going to come out in your claim, well, they're saying, but they're basically either lying to you or they're telling you what they think you want to hear. Mm -hmm. None of those, neither one of those are good options. But here's the answer. Your case value is determined when your facts are complete, period. The best analogy, and I've used this for many, many years, it's like a thousand-piece puzzle. If somebody dumped a thousand-piece puzzle out on a table and they threw the box away, you have no clue what the big picture is until those pieces come together. So as I'm putting together a case for the purpose of negotiating, resolving, filing suit, whatever it may be, all those pieces fall into place to create the big picture. I have no clue what somebody's final medical expense will be the first time I talk to them. I have no clue what their diagnosis will be or their prognosis or whether or not they've lost time from work. If so, how much time? Or because of their injuries, if they're no longer able to return to that same kind of work. If someone works with their hands and they're uh, a lot of heavy lifting and they've had a very severe back injury, well, they may never be able to return to that kind of work. Um, so with that being said, the value of the claim will not be known in the very beginning. So when you have somebody tell you, oh, your case is worth X number of dollars, Again, I think more often than not, they're simply telling you what they think you want to hear. Somebody who knows what they're doing will wait and get the evidence together and be able to properly evaluate the claim. Now, with that being said, one final point, the value of your claim, unfortunately, is not what I think it's worth or what you think it's worth. The good news is it's not what the insurance company thinks it's worth. If the insurance company had their way, they'd write you a check for $5 and say, leave us alone. The value of the claim is driven by what juries are doing every day on cases similar to yours. 
Now, the facts are always going to be a little bit different, but jury verdicts are always the measuring stick across the board for what the true value of a claim may be. And the specific facts of your claim help me put those facts in the best light possible to maximize that value in the eyes of a jury. I can see that being a huge misconception, and I'm just going to throw out arbitrary numbers. Okay, uh, Joe over here got rear-ended and got $700,000, and Tim over here got rear-ended, and, uh, you know, Tim's my husband or my brother, and, and he only got 50000 You know, th- I could just sure. see that being a huge comparison, but I like that puzzle analogy. That makes a lot of sense. Sure. It, the it, person it, that, that yeah. caused the first wreck may have been DUI. Right. Reckless driving. It could be a completely different set. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean uh, rear-run collision to rear-run collision is exactly the same accident. Right. It's One not. One could have been a surgical injury. Sure. The other could have been non-surgical. There are so many factors. Factors, absolutely. Next one, I can't afford an attorney, so how do I pay you? Again, very, very common question. I I get that one most often at the very beginning, the initial conversation. The answer to that, what I do, and really all personal injury attorneys take the same approach. We work on a contingency fee basis. Contingency fee simply means we do not get paid a penny unless and until we get money for you. So the risk of this kind of falls on our shoulders. If there is no outcome, no settlement, no verdict in your favor, well, then you don't owe me a dime. On the other hand, if we do settle the claim, well, quite frankly, the more I get for you, the more I get for myself. So my objective is to maximize the recovery. Now, typically in Georgia, and we're here in Georgia, the standard is about 33 and a third for settlement without filing suit. There are some firms I know that do 37. I know one that does 40. Uh, but generally, 33 and a third percent of the 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 settlement um, if it's done without filing suit. If it goes into litigation, it generally goes to 40% simply because of the attorney time involved. There'll be depositions, hearings, motions, calendar calls, pretrial conferences, mediations, all those things that eventually lead to the trial itself. So a substantial amount of time is invested when the case goes into litigation. Now, the, the answer, though, really is you don't have to pay. So you're not going to have to write me a check. Um, again, again, I only get paid if and when there's a recovery. It's not like a, uh, say, for example, a bankruptcy or a divorce or criminal defense attorney where you write a check for a retainer sure. or a billable hours. Yeah. That's not the way we work. It's okay. strictly contingency. Strictly contingency. When will my case settle? That kind of ties into that first one about how much is my case is worth in the sense that no case is ripe, R-I-P-E, like a banana, ripe for settlement. No case is ripe for settlement until all the facts are together. The treatment's over, we have all the medical records, all the medical bills, all the follow-up visits, uh, physical therapy, chiropractic treatment, whatever it may be. We have all the uh, evidence regarding the wreck itself. How did the wreck occur? What do we know about the background of the defendant? Was he or she drunk? Were they uh, driving recklessly? Uh, Do they have a prior history that opens the door to additional damages, known as punitive damages? So once all those answers to the questions come in, that is when the case is ready to start the settlement process. Now, when I send a demand letter to an insurance company and start negotiating, uh, we may wind up having to file suit. And if we do have to file suit, that brings in a whole other issue. But uh, your case will not be settled until your treatment is complete and we have some idea of what those facts are, the evidence. Um, And we can put that together in such a way, like the puzzle we talked Mm -hmm. about. Yeah to present that picture of the claim to the adjuster. Will I have to go to court for a trial? Not necessarily. Uh, There's a presumption a lot of people have that if I do uh, have a personal injury case, well, I'm going to go to trial. The answer is not really. 
uh, most cases, and when I say most, I would say easily 95% of cases will either settle without filing suit or when they go into litigation, eventually during the course of litigation, during the discovery part, depositions or hearings, it'll eventually come to the point where we can get it settled. It may also settle in a mediation. Um, so there are times when, without going all the way to trial, you can file suit and still avoid that the actual courtroom. But most cases do settle without actually having to file suit. I think that's also a big misconception because I think a lot of people wouldn't contact an attorney out of fear of having to go to court in right, a trial. Right. And your life becomes an open book, unfortunately, when you do file suit. Uh, when you go through depositions and the, what are known as interrogatories, the written discovery, you're going to have to answer some things that are very uncomfortable about your you know, if there's a criminal background that you have, you're going to have to answer questions about that. You're going to have to answer about your financial background. You're going to have to answer about any other prior injuries or prior claims you've had. So going through litigation is not a pleasant process really for anybody. Uh, but again, most cases will settle without filing suit. And for, the, for, for that matter, insurance companies, you know, they don't want to beleaguer the point and, and force you into litigation if it's a case that is justifiable to be settled. Um, it, it's kind of a a smart business decision to go ahead and pay these claims as opposed to paying defense attorneys to defend every single case that comes in and force plaintiff's attorneys to have to file suit every single time. Okay. Here's a good question. I don't have health insurance. How do I get treatment for my injuries? Again, that's one of those most common questions I get. That's why it's on the list. Yeah. Uh, health insurance, and let me start by, by kind of explaining this because a lot of people don't really understand how this works. So health insurance is there to pay for things that were typically not caused by somebody else. Say, for example, the, a cold, the flu, uh, a condition, you know, like, for example, diabetes, cancer, those kind of things. Or if you're at home by yourself and you're changing a light bulb and you climb a ladder and you fall off the ladder, nobody's fault but your own, and you break a leg, those are all things where health insurance is the primary source to pay your medical expense. When you're involved in a car wreck that was caused by somebody else, your health insurance company becomes a collateral source, a secondary source. They're not the primary responsibility for paying your medical bills because those bills were caused by the negligence of someone else. So say, for example, in a car wreck, the person that hit you, their car insurance now becomes the primary responsible party for paying those medical bills. Mm -hmm. Your health insurance, when the bills are coded from the hospital and submitted to your health insurance plan, they're going to refer to this as a third-party liability claim, meaning a third party is, again, liable for what's happened to you, and they most often will reject those bills and not pay them. So health insurance does not have to pay for your medical expenses automatically after a car wreck claim if they see that it's a third-party liability bill. They can reject it, and they will. Quite frankly, they will. So even if you have health insurance, it doesn't automatically mean that you're going to be able to get the treatment for your injuries. So then we look at other sources. Through your own personal car insurance co coverage, you may have something known as MedPay, also referred to as MPC, or medical payment coverage. We've talked about that in a prior show. MedPay is coverage you have through your own car insurance, usually with limits of either $500, 1000 5000 10000 The most I've ever seen was 100000 but if you have MedPay, MedPay will pay your medical bills for you as you treat up to your MedPay limits. So going to a provider, a doctor's office, physical therapy, chiropractor, and having MedPay will allow that source to pay those bills as you treat. Another option, it's an option, but I would never recommend it, is paying out of pocket. You can always go to the doctor and pay out of pocket every time you go, but that'll get really expensive very quickly. I was just quickly. thinking that. That gets 
kind sure. of pricey. Especially yeah. if you've been in a car wreck and you're right. out of work and you don't have an income right now. Yeah. You don't want to pay out of pocket. So it is an option, but never one that anybody should take or would want to take. And then the final, which is really the most common option, is to treat on a lean basis. That's where a doctor's office, a facility, will agree to get you in as a patient, take care of your injuries, do everything that needs to be done to get you well, and agree to postpone their payment for the bill until your claim is resolved. And then they get paid from the proceeds of the settlement after it's done. So that is the most common route to take when, it, when you're treating for a car wreck injury. Uh, again, injury is not caused by you, but caused by somebody else. So as an attorney, we can help facilitate the, uh, the contact with facilities that do work on a lean basis and would help take care of your injuries. So I many times will help clients get in contact with those locations when otherwise they may not be able to get treatment. So these are the most common questions, and that was extremely enlightening. I have to say I didn't realize that. I know that I carry health insurance, and I would understand what it means to get in a car accident, but I guess I didn't really understand the difference in my personal health insurance and then the sure. other person being at fault. I understand getting a settlement. I mean, but again, breaking it down like that. Yeah, people uh, get very upset when very they say, well, my health insurance should have paid that. Why, why do I have a bill? Well, no, your health insurance rejected it. They're not going to pay it because it's a third-party liability bill, and ultimately your contract with them does not require them to pay for things caused by the negligence of somebody else. Hmm. Interesting. All right, another health insurance question. But what I was thinking, I'm just interjecting here on a side note, that's a, a lot to explain. And if these are the most common questions, how many times a day are you having to say all that? <laughs> well, you know, I've always, I've, I've literally joked with paralegals. I need to record this message. Right. <laughs> just, and, and now say, it's on podcast recorded. You exactly. just need to tell everybody. All go, right. Go to my website. Go listen to the look show. Look at the podcast number, whatever. Everything's and, and on it. there. Right. And then call me back if it's, if it's not covered. Right. Yeah. So, wow. But I do answer this, this question, the one we just went over and, and all the others, I do ask, answer those many times. A week, especially in a new case. I now understand why you're late for dinner almost every <laughs> night. Okay. Here's another good one relating to health insurance. Why do I have to pay money back to my health insurance company? Well, this one kind of feeds off the last one. And that is your health insurance contract requires you to do certain things. And if you do receive a recovery, a settlement, money from an at-fault party for a third-party liability claim, your contract language will determine whether or not you're required to reimburse them. There's some coverages that automatically require reimbursement. Medicaid, Medicare, Champus, uh, which is now TRICARE, uh, Peach Care, Peach State, the government-funded programs automatically require reimbursement, period. Some private health insurance plans, though, usually that are known as ERISA plans, ERISA is E-R-I-S-A, the Employee, Employee Retirement Income Security Act. So ultimately, plans that require reimbursement in their language, the contract you have with them, your health insurance plan, we deal directly with them. And yes, you do have to pay them back from recovery you receive from that third party. But the good news is a couple of things. Number one, we only have to reimburse up to what they paid, not what they were billed. So most people that have health insurance realize that if a bill is submitted for, say, $10,000, your health insurance plan is never going to pay 10000 They may pay as little as two. So even though I do have to reimburse them based on your contract language, I only have to reimburse up to the 2000 which is what they paid, not up to the 10000 which is what they were billed. And even still, depending on the recovery and some other factors in your claim, I could either negotiate that down dramatically or in some cases even get that waived. But there are times where you do have to reimburse your health insurance coverage for bills they've paid that were caused by somebody else's negligence. Well, this next question, I feel like 
now that I've listened to all this, this kind of goes into the puzzle analogy. And the question is, how long do I have to treat with the doctor? And I'm just going to make the assumption it's because every case is different. So that's a hard question to answer. Yeah, it is. It is. But here's what I tell people. My job is to be an attorney. I'm here to practice law. I'm not here to practice medicine, period. So the last person that needs to give you advice as to how long you need to treat is the attorney. And, and I don't. I purposely don't. Now, I will say this. I do know, unfortunately, there are several attorneys that will love to give medical advice. That's not my job, though. I leave the medical questions to the, the client and their doctor. The doctor has the education, the talent, the skill, the training to do what needs to be done to address your injuries. And as the injured party, you know your body better than anybody else. You know how you're hurting, where you're hurting, and when you're hurting. So as a zealous advocate for yourself in that doctor's office saying, hey, doc, my, my shoulder's still hurting. Well, that's something that you need to communicate to them to allow them to continue to treat. Sometimes doctors will say, well, we want to set out a plan of five weeks. Five weeks, we'll see you for X number of times the first week, second week, and maybe the third week back off that. So somebody will stick to a treatment plan and two weeks into it feel well. I tell them if you're feeling like you can be released, then get released. The opposite is also true. There are times where they may have a five-week treatment plan. Five weeks into it, they're still hurting. That's when they need to say, Doc, I'm still hurting, and let them adjust that plan. So the answer to how long do I have to treat is, again, up to the individual person and the severity and extent of their injuries and their doctor. And next question. Seems like it's kind of piggybacks on that. How much do they pay me for my pain and suffering? Yeah, that, that's a common question, and, and many times it's followed up with, is it 5000 Is it 10000 Is it based on my injury? What, what do they give me? And, and I'm going to guess there's not a set amount. No, there's not. There's not. There's I'm no learning, mathematical see? formula right. that, that, that you're presented with in the statutes that says you take this times this, divide it by this, add this. No, 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 no. The pain and suffering is a relative term, and this is the standard under the law. It's the the enlightened consciousness of a jury. <laughs> I have heard you say that Which before. means that after yeah. the jury's heard the facts, the evidence, and the testimony, they're the ones that are in the best position possible to determine what dollar amount is appropriate to compensate you for that pain and suffering. Does that go into your closing arg argument? Yes, yes uh, it does. Your enlightened, your enlightened consciousness. consciousness. So if you <laughs> well, have someone... Let's come to a settlement. Yeah, let, let's kind of take an example. If you have someone with a... Uh, back injury that, that heals completely and there's no ill effects, no continued long-term problems, no nagging pains, nothing like that. Well, the pain and suffering is going to be $1 amount. On the other hand, someone who has back surgery with pins and rods and screws or fusion and some extreme uh, procedure that does cause long-term things like not only just the pain, but also too things like arthritis and continued swelling and, and ibuprofen and things you've got to do to through the rest of your life address it, that pain and suffering element is going to be tremendous. And it should be because it's relative to the severity and extent of the injury as to what that pain and suffering amount is. Now, as an attorney, it's my job to make sure that the person sitting in the cubicle at the insurance company or eventually the juror sitting in the juror box in the courtroom can understand what that pain means to you. Because it doesn't matter what that pain means to them. The easiest pain to bear is somebody else's. Mm -hmm. It's easy for me to hear about how bad your back hurts and go, man, that stinks, and walk away. But it's my responsibility to make them understand what that pain is like for you as my client and put them in your shoes so they can truly feel exactly what it's like to spend a day in your life. There's a fantastic show that we did where you really you were talking about cases uh -huh. and you had uh, 
were able to share with all of our listeners really how in court you showed uh, a single mom. Right, a mom that had to take care of a very um, severely disabled son. Yes, and by bringing him in, you were able to show that jury really what she has to go through on a daily basis and what her injuries not only affected her, but her disabled son. Exactly. She has responsibilities that normal person would not have and can't appreciate and understand unless they see it. And that was why it was relevant for that case in particular and why it helped to maximize that pain and suffering part of the claim. That was great. I encourage anyone to go back and listen, uh, again, to just not only that show, but all the shows. But, um, yeah, you give some fantastic examples. And, and I re- that stuck out with me even now. Um, it kind of comes back around. So I hope yeah, it sticks I've, out with lots I've of people. I've used that one with clients, too. I've used that story because... I can't appreciate what somebody's going through from a pain and suffering standpoint unless I talk to them. And that's why I love to talk to clients. I want to know everything I need to know about my clients so that when I start talking to an insurance company or to a jury, I can portray it for them in the best light possible. I know you use this example because you went through it. I've heard you say many times, either out socially or um, even watching something on TV, if someone says uh, broken ribs and you'll say, oh, "Oh, I know how that feels. Uh, you broke three ribs yeah, about this time last year. Yeah, and right, remembering that pain, remembering that healing part, uh-huh. you instantly go back to it. You yeah. can oh, only yeah. have reference of that if you have walked through it yourself. That's right. Yeah, broken, collapsed lung, pneumonia, all that nastiness that came with it. All right. Well, we're almost finished with the list. We uh, this I believe I'm on number nine here. Yes. If I use my car insurance policy to pay any part of my claim, are they going to raise my rates or drop me? Again, that's one that I get all the time. And that, of course, all these. I keep saying that, but that's why they're on this list. So here's the answer. Insurance rates are typically based on risk. Risk meaning as your risk factors go up, your rates go up. I use the analogy here. Let's take a 16-year-old boy, right? which boys are usually higher to insure than, than girls, but put a 16-year-old boy in a convertible, souped-up sports car, a turbo, and, yeah. and they love it. And let's put a conservative mom who or dad who's never had a ticket, who drives below the speed limit or right at the speed limit, who's been driving for 30 years and never been cited for anything, not even a parking violation. And they're driving a minivan, a very sure. just basic minivan. And look at the insurance rates for those two. Very, very high risk for that young 16-year-old boy in that sports car as opposed to that mom or dad in that minivan. So... Based on that, risk factors are what change your rates one way or the other. Now, when you go to your med pay, I referenced that earlier. Med pay, you've done nothing wrong. You were injured by somebody else. You've paid premiums every month or every six months or however often you pay your premiums for that coverage. And so all you're doing is using a part of your policy that you've paid for. You gave them money for them to do exactly what they're supposed to do. So when you've been hurt by somebody else and you use that med pay coverage to pay your medical bills, you've done nothing wrong. Nothing. Likewise, if it's an uninsured motorist claim where the person that hit you had no coverage at all or it's a stolen vehicle, any number of reasons why it's uninsured, and you have to use the uninsured motorist part of your claim, again, by definition, you've done nothing wrong. So your risk factors don't go up, and therefore your rates also should not go up. Now, I always say this. Insurance rates can be raised at any given moment for any reason. Yes, Think yes. about hurricanes that we talked yeah. about this in a prior show, hurricanes that devastated the Gulf Coast and mm-hmm. across the board, insurance rates went up tremendously on everything, car insurance, life insurance, you name it. Mm-hmm. But when you've done nothing wrong, your rates are not supposed to be increased because your risk factors have not gone up. <laughs> 
so much. I didn't mean to choke you up. No, I went to speak and, and, you know, you just caught me. (laughs) Apologize. (laughs) Can I sue the person and not go after their insurance coverage? Well, this this is also one of those that that the answer is long, but I'll give you the brief uh, version of of the answer as best I can. So when you go after someone who's caused a, a wreck and they've hurt you, their insurance coverage is responsible for paying the claim, period. Even if you sue them, it's still their insurance coverage that provides the defense attorney and eventually pays that verdict. So when I do file suit on cases, and, and I have to, many times people want to know, why aren't you naming the insurance company as a defendant? Well, the answer is there are very limited circumstances where you can name the insurance company. Generally, commercial policies and commercial transport, like tractor trailers, for example. But in a normal, uh, routine, ordinary car wreck claim, the at-fault driver is the named defendant. But their insurance company is behind them, defending them with the, the attorneys and also paying the claim. So you are suing them, but you're not going outside of their insurance coverage. So if they have limited coverage, say $25,000, um, you know, there's a good old phrase that you've probably heard, and that is you can't get blood from a turnip. Yeah. So you can I've have a million-dollar verdict. You mm-hmm. can frame it. You can put it up on the wall. You can point to it and brag about it and tell everybody about it. But if there's no coverage there to pay it and nobody, the at-fault driver who doesn't have resources to pay it, well, many times it's not worth the paper it's written on. Mm-hmm. You got a great verdict. Hey, that's wonderful, but there's nothing there to collect, period. So when you do file suit, you are suing the individual, but ultimately it's the insurance company that pays the verdict. Now, at trial, one last point on this. We are not allowed to tell jurors that the insurance company is has provided the defense attorney. We're not allowed to tell jurors that the insurance company is the one writing the check. So in the context of a trial, a jury many times will look at that defendant, that person, and sometimes think, well, I can't make them pay 100000 How are they going to do that? They can't write a check for that. In reality, it's not them, and I can't say that at trial. It's Why? Their Why can't you say that? It's That's considered to be prejudicial and not probative, meaning that it's going to prejudice the jury to give more money because they see the deep pocket insurance company there but not provide anything probative that would lead to making a decision one way or the other. So, Well, I get that. The point is, yeah. though, that, that when it goes to trial 99.999% of the time, there is an insurance company involved, and that is the insurance company that will pay that verdict, not John Doe sitting there as a defendant. So the sympathy that jurors extend to a defendant, unfortunately, is misguided because it's still a very, sure. very, very deep pocket that, quite frankly, in most cases, should have already paid the claim anyway right. and not forced us into litigation. Well, fantastic top ten list, and I'm going to turn it over to you. This is the end of the show. Anyone listening, if Derek did not answer your questions, uh, if you have another one, Derek, tell them how they can submit questions to you, uh, find podcasts, shows, social media, all things Derek Hayes. Absolutely. The first way is call me. My number at the office, 404-777-HURT or 678-225-0970. As I said, these are the common questions that I get. There are many, many others, and I'm sure you probably have others listening to this. So call me. I'll be happy to discuss that with you. As always, that initial consultation is free, so it doesn't cost a thing to call. You can also reach out to me on my website. My website is Derek M. Hayes which is D-E-R-E-K, the letter M as in Matthew, and Hayes is H-A-Y-S, so DerekMHayes.com. There's a conversation or or chat tab that'll come up. You can write your question there. You can click on uh, the the tab to submit a question about a case, or you can click on the podcast tab and submit a question that way. 
I'll be the one to get the question. I'll be the one to respond to you. I'll either call or, if possible, I'll type the, the answer in a, in a return email and go that route. You can also, too, find me on my social media. That's uh, Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. I'm on Facebook, I'm on Twitter, and I'm on Instagram. So find me any way you want to and send me a question. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes, presented by Status Home Design and the Law Office of Derek M. Hayes. Don't forget that you can enjoy any of our episodes anytime by visiting Business Radio X, selecting the Gwinnett Studio, then clicking on Injury Insider with Derek Hayes. This program is also available on your favorite podcast app. Until next time for Derek Hayes, I'm Lita Brooks, and you've been listening to Injury Insider on Business Radio X. Thank you.